0: Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Will Smith decided to get his first colonoscopy at age 52. And even better, he captured the whole thing in a hilarious YouTube video titled, I Vlogged My Colonoscopy. Smith also shared that his doctor found a polyp during the screening, which was removed and sent out for testing and later revealed that the polyp was containing precancerous tissues. So good thing he got a colonoscopy. To keep an eye on everything, the doctor urged Smith to get another colonoscopy in two to three years instead of the recommending 10. In honor of March being Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, we brought in Dr. Rosario Lagrasti, who is a board-certified gastroenterologist and chief of gastroenterology at Hackensack University Medical Center to talk to us about the importance of this particular screening. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Lagrasti.
1: Great, thank you.
0: So let's just dive right in. How does a colonoscopy work?
1: Um, it's, it's one of the scariest things for people to think about, you know, you're thinking you're going to put that three foot hose where, and people sit there and they go, there's absolutely no way and most of the time it's the husband's being dragged in by the wives so needless to say when they finally get to my office and i discuss it with them you know we kind of calm them down and tell them it's really not the hard part of the test the day before when you're preparing your colon might be the hard part but colonoscopy is a truly revolutionary procedure that we offer patients Um, it's one of the few screening kinds of procedures that actually not only screens patients for cancer, but actually prevents cancer at the same time. By, as you said, treating, for example, Will Smith's polyps, um, we actually can make a big difference in patients' lives and ultimate outcomes. And how does it work? So, you know, so the, the procedure itself, fairly easy. About 15 to 20 minutes of, of a procedure, Um, patients are generally sleeping for the entire procedure with an intravenous sedative Um, they rarely if ever feel anything during the procedure and we take a small scope which is a very long tube that has controls as well as ability to flush fluid through the scope and take biopsies and remove tissue and at the very end of the scope is a camera with a light and we advance this camera and light device all the way through the colon from one end to the other takes about I said 15 to 20 minutes most of the test is done on the way back as you come back through the patient's colon and you look very carefully for small elevations and growths of tissue. Anything that looks out of the ordinary, we generally either biopsy or remove. So the test itself, pretty unremarkable. But as I said earlier, the day before, it can be very interesting.
0: (laughs) And why is that? Everyone, I feel like anyone I talk to, they're all, they're like, oh, the prep, the prep. I think the prep is like, oh, you could eat 400 cheeseburgers before and it doesn't even matter because, you know, you're... You're going through your your cleanse basically
1: yeah it's it, it's it can be rigorous for a lot of patients. in fact, my most common phone call when I'm on call covering you know the office is that I can't tolerate the preps you know the in the old days you know and that's not too long ago, preparations were literally large volumes of fluid mm-hmm. um, mixed in with with a little bit of salt, and these fluids could be up to a gallon, so you're asking a patient to sit there and drink a gallon of fluid, and most people after the first class or two. They think, hey, no big deal. But when they get to the 20th class, they feel like they're floating away. <laughs> but that's the old days. So as time has gone on, we've, the preps have gotten, have gotten a little bit more palatable. Um, and they've gotten a little bit smaller volume. And now we've actually just introduced uh, about a year ago a preparation that's entirely based with pills um, as opposed to just fluid alone. In the end of the day, the the goal of the preparation is to really have the entire intestine as clean, the large intestine as clean as you can make it so the doctor can find these growths. And these growths sometimes can be fairly small and fairly innocuous, and if there's a lot of stool in the way and and other materials, we just have a very difficult time finding it but these days the prep is certainly not like it used to be where it was just kind of a you know a little bit threatening as a large gallon of fluid yeah. for people to drink and as patients were getting older they, they sit there and they're like there's just no way i'm going to finish this and the taste of the, of the preparation isn't that fantastic basically it's seawater mixed with sprite so yeah. it's a little bit unpalatable however you know these days it's a little bit more palatable than it used to be so in the end of the day my selling point for a lot of patients is hey you're going to lose a couple of pounds
0: yeah, exactly. It, and you know
1: what? On the top of it, you get a screening test. So how much wrong could you be there? It
0: sounds like a win-win to me. <laughs> I think
1: win-win for sure.
0: But you, you even mentioned the wives are dragging in their husbands. Why do you think that males are... Constantly the ones that are so fearful of her.
1: Uh well, you know, males. <laughs> <laughs> if we if we had to have babies, I think the species would die out. That's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, men, you know, basically are a little averse, especially certain certain groups of men, they're very averse to pain. They think it's going to be very uncomfortable. The entire idea it brings people to squeamish tears. But um, but in general You know, we we can convince most patients that it's in their best interest, considering how successful procedure it is to do a colonoscopy, and more importantly, how infrequently it can be done.
0: So you mentioned how, you know, you go in and you find polyps or, you know, any any sort of materials in there. Um, Like, what is the big deal about finding a polyp? Is it always going to be cancer or is it possible it's not?
1: Um, and and most, of, most of the time, our, our, our purpose of, for doing colonoscopy is to find precancerous lesions, so precancerous clumps of cells called polyps. Um, and if you look at why colon cancer happens generally, most colon cancer that happens in the United States comes from a precursor polyp. And the good part about, or the bad part about it is, is that these polyps can grow for many years before they become malignant. In the majority of patients. So in patients that that you find a polyp in, in their colon they clearly have had that polyp for a little bit of time before you found it and clearly will continue to have that polyp for a number of years afterwards until it becomes malignant. The big problem with polyps generally is that they are small so they don't really cause many symptoms if any and most of the time polyps don't bleed. So by the time patients would otherwise come in with symptoms these polyps are already, have, have already gone bad and they have already become malignant tumors. So our goal as, as gastroenterologists is to find these polyps when they're at the smallest size possible so they can be removed. But in general, we, we, really, we really strive to find as many polyps as we can in patients or, the flip side, find as, as least amount of polyps as we can and certainly, you know, hopefully a negative procedure is, is all best to the patient. But again, our goal is really to find as, as few polyps as possible, but any that we do find we remove because that's how we actually cure the colon cancer in the future
0: and by removing the polyp are you just kind of like scraping it off or are you like taking pieces of the colon yeah. away
1: Depending on how big the polyp is, the polyp sometimes can be removed with a small um, device called a forceps, which is a little tiny plier that goes down through the scope, or it can be removed with a little electrical lasso that fits around the polyp and then strangles the polyp with electricity and removes it completely. So again, we can remove these polyps in, in, in many, many different ways, including um, approximating the way the surgeons can remove these polyps, again, without surgery, and doing it all as an outpatient same-day procedure, up to very, very large size precancerous polyps. Wow. Quite successfully. In fact, like I said, it's 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 truly revolutionized, you know, the field of gastroenterology. And more importantly, I think it's probably the most important procedure we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's preventing and removing cancer, basically.
1: Yeah, when they first started doing this in the late 1960s, early 1970s, it was truly revolutionary that this could be done outside of an operating room.
0: Absolutely. Well, because the patient is just merely asleep.
1: Right. And and we're using a natural incision. We're not having to make any special new incisions in their abdomen.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So you find a precancerous polyp. What happens next? Do they have to go to a cancer doctor and then go and get chemo and things like that? Or is it just kind of like removed and done?
1: So if we find, if if a patient comes to see me and they're coming to see me with just average risk and they come in and say, I need a new colonoscopy and we do the colonoscopy and find a polyp, And if the polyp is truly precancerous, we're done. So the most important part is the patient doesn't need any additional therapy. They just simply need a sooner than than average colonoscopy. Normally, we, if we find nothing in the patient's colon, we bring patients back every 10 years for another colonoscopy. If we do find polyps, as you had alluded to earlier, we'll bring patients back um, more frequently than 10 years, sometimes as soon as two to three years after the one that we just did. And certainly if the preparation wasn't too stellar and we find a lot of fecal matter, because we're a little still nervous that we might have missed something, we'll bring patients back on the sooner side as well. But certainly because of the nature of how we take these polyps off and what their pathology is, that it is truly a precancerous lesion, but not cancer yet, these patients are simply having these polyps removed and we're done.
0: Wow, that is pretty revolutionary. So I must say, I was looking into this and I was looking into other types of methods of screenings and different things like that, such as the boxed method and things like that. Do you suggest any of those or like just go for the colonoscopy with you? Like just, just go with that.
1: I mean, you're asking a gastroenterologist. So as a gastroenterologist, certainly my, my penchant is always do a colonoscopy. Yeah. But my, I also understand the reality of, of how people approach this. Basically, from, from my standpoint is the best screening test is a test that actually gets done. So if patients actually will tell me, you know what, I won't do a colonoscopy because, you know, my aunt had a perforation and had a horrible outcome and needed surgery. Well, then I'll say, okay, that we don't have to do a colonoscopy. There are other options. So essentially, when we're screening for colon cancer, we're we're considering all the different options for that particular patient. So there are the um, optical ways to find polyps so colonoscopy, for example, Mm -hmm. but then there are less invasive options, for example, a virtual colonoscopy, which utilizes a CAT scan or a special type of x-ray to examine the colon. Downside to that kind of an evaluation is that you still need a preparation. Mm-hmm. So those are the two, two, two um, visual-type examinations. Um, the problem, obviously, also with a virtual colonoscopy is it's virtual. So you can't remove tissue. You can't biopsy tissue. And if you find something in the colon, you still need a colonoscopy. And then there are the non-visual ways to find things. So like you said, you know, box methods. Yeah. And, and the big selling point about those is that those, those patients um, can have their screening test at home. You know they don't need to have a preparation generally Um, they can do their own collection of fecal matter at home and they can submit the example to the lab looking for certain things in the fecal matter that that perhaps can be a sign that patients have polyps Um, the one that you see on tv all the time um, it's been very very much a hit the problem is when you look at how sensitive of a test it is it's not very sensitive to find polyps but it is much more sensitive to find cancers So again, as a screening test, we don't necessarily want to find cancers. We really want to find polyps, so the precancerous stage.
0: Before the cancer.
1: Certainly before the cancer. But it's been very successful because of the nature of the test. Patients get the test at home. They do the test at home. They don't have to fast. They don't have to prep. They simply take this test and mail it in. It's a little bit on the pricey side, but it certainly does give us a little bit of information if it's negative. So certainly if that test comes back negative, you're good for five years. You don't have to worry about doing another screening test for the next five years. However, if it's positive, you clearly still need a colonoscopy. And then it becomes a bigger issue um, sometimes financially. Yeah. Again, screening colonoscopies in the average risk patient are free, thanks to the Affordable Care Act. However, if you have a positive Cologuard test, then your colonoscopy is billed as a diagnostic study. So it is no longer free. So it's a little bit of a problem. And you kind of, and you kind of have to make patients aware that these are all the possibilities. And sometimes you can have a positive Cologuard test that has a negative colonoscopy. So we don't really know what to do with that group of patients just yet, although we just accept the colonoscopy's verdict as the definitive verdict. But again, then the patients have had two tests and double the stress. So so again, for me, again, if if I tell patients that they've come to my office and they'd like a good quality gold standard screening test, obviously that's a colonoscopy. But if they are very squeamish about it or they have hesitancy, or like I said, their best friend's grandmother had a complication, then by all means, there are lots of other alternatives that are almost as good.
0: So I wanted to dive in a little bit to the future of colonoscopies. And I was hearing these things like little tiny robots doing, going in and doing the colonoscopies. Is there any truth to that or could you explain any of that?
1: I mean, certainly, one day, as with most medical procedures, people will look back and said, "I can't believe you used to do it that way." So clearly, there is a future there. Um, the gold standard probably one day will end up being a very specialized blood test where you can actually find the patients who are at risk. But barring that, when that actually, when we actually get to that future time, um, there are certainly many labs currently investigating less. Um, difficult ways to do um, to do colonoscopy, and some of these are based on robotics. and And as 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 crazy as that might sound, there are some that are actually currently sold. and And there there are a couple of different ways to do it. One way would be um, where you where you have a small camera that patients swallow, and then the camera is guided through the colon with magnets. Wow! So there's no there's no invasive part necessarily. Um, there's no contact part, and there's no sedation necessary. Again, the downside to that is you can't biopsy and you can't do any kind of removal of tissue. But there's there's a couple of different labs out there, one in the United States and one in Israel, that actually have truly um, self-propelled robotic colonoscopy devices that are either inserted by mouth or inserted by rectum and go through the entire colon on their own. And these, these, these devices can actually sample and remove colonic tissue. Wow. Autopilot. Very amazing, and when you see these things in action, it's always mind-boggling that things can be miniaturized to such a degree, yeah. but they exist, and uh, and and they're not quite ready for prime time. Most of the time, you would think, you know, it, it would be not too difficult to imagine a little tiny tank driving through your colon, <laughs> but but again, the, the the big problem obviously is. You know the colon can be fairly uh, f- um, easy to damage if you're not careful with the type of devices you're inserting. So it's a little—it was a little scary when they first envisioned colonoscopy um, to begin with. But you can only imagine a little tank driving through your colon without ripping things up on the way in. So that's the part that's been hard to kind of, you know, kind of envision and manufacture. But I think we're going to get there. I really do.
0: As you were talking about this, all I can think of is the magic school bus and <laughs> how the magic school bus would shrink down and go, you know, into your nose or into wherever. So I, I guess the future is the magic school bus. Yeah, basically. or fantastic voyage. I mean, yeah. I, think, I
1: think there is definitely a future there. And, and clearly, as things can be miniaturized, specifically power sources and little motors, I think that's where we get to that point where it start, starts to become something that's actually viable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, that just like really, all I can think of is the magic school bus and I lost my <laughs> place. <laughs> okay, so how can we keep colon cancer at bay? So you mentioned colonoscopies and screenings and things like that. Anything else that we can do to, you know, Keep the cancer at bay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I think colon cancer is an interesting you know disease or an interesting beast. Um, if you look at what's been happening in colon cancer generally since about two thousand eight, when people are actually paying attention to these statistics. As a, as a group of patients, the numbers of patients with colon cancer has declined. And why has it declined? It's declined in the age group from 50 and up um, because we're actually intervening with things like colonoscopy. We're actually doing stuff where we're finding polyps, removing them, and decreasing the rates. But then when you start looking at some of the other patients that get colon cancer, then you start saying to yourself, OK. You know, what about these younger patients who are getting colon cancer at a much younger age, and those numbers are actually increasing dramatically? In fact, the age group that's increasing the most rapidly is the age group between 20 and 29. And you would think, you don't get colon cancer younger than the age of 45, you would think. But young patients do get colon cancer, and when they get colon cancer, they usually present at a much later stage, at a much more difficult-to-treat stage. And why is that? Again, it, it really comes down to, you know, patients being aware of what symptoms they need to look out for. Again, younger patients who present with rectal bleeding, you kind of say, well, it's probably a hemorrhoid, nothing much, to, nothing much more to do. However, we do see these rates increasing. We have to keep it in mind that younger patients can still get colon cancer. So how can you prevent colon cancer? Again, the first thing is that the, the patient's doctor and the patient need to be aware that, in fact, they could get colon cancer at a younger age. Secondarily, it's all the usual suspects that tend to be putting patients at risk. So, obesity, sedentary lifestyles, um, eating uh, very meat-rich foods and food, food items, um, uh, exercise, smoking. Um, basically, all the things that you would think of that cause cancer generically clearly cause cancer in patients that, um, that are at risk for it, um, especially colon cancers. Um, the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that if you have family history of colon cancer, you need to get screened for colon, for colon cancer. About 25 to 30% of patients who present with colon cancer have a family member with colon cancer. So you have to keep that in mind as well. If someone in your family, generally a first-degree relative, has colon cancer, you need to be screened.
0: And how early would they need to be screened?
1: You know, it's, you kind of look at their family history. So if they tell you that, you know, my brother had colon cancer when he was 60, generally 10 years before that other family members should be, should be screened. So family members should be screened at 10 years before their, their patients who actually have colon cancer, so they'll be screened at 50. But again, if patients' family members have co- younger colon cancer, then they need to be screened even earlier.
0: Wow. So and then there
1: are certainly, sorry to interrupt you, but certainly no, so other groups that are also at risk. So for example, patients that have had breast cancer, mm-hmm. they clearly are at an increased risk. And other patients that have other family histories of other cancers. We keep it in mind that colon cancer is certainly part of a constellation of other cancers.
0: So how young, even if maybe you didn't have a family relative, how young should you get screened for colon cancer? Because you're mentioning, you know, it seems to be getting younger and younger.
1: I mean, just, just recently, within the year, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force came out with new recommendations. So we used to, up until a year ago, screen everyone older than the age of 50. And we would screen patients from the age of 50 to the age of 75 and then after the age of 75 on a case-by-case basis until patients got to 85 but about about 50 to 75 so just recently like i said within the year we reduced that to 45. however we need to continue to look at these statistics in the next five years because we may want to liberalize it even further Mm -hmm. without a doubt the trends are younger and younger patients are presenting with colon cancer so if that's the case should you be making this a much, much earlier thing to do for patients? And again, we do see the statistics, and they don't lie. It's not that we're searching for these diseases at a younger age. We're actually There actually is an increased trend. And it's been occurring since about 2008, where these numbers are increasing about 3% per year. So that's a big number. And needless to say, as it starts to become more and more clinically relevant, we may be screening patients at a much younger age. But currently, 45 is where we're starting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like with that that track record, we probably will be screening at a much younger rate.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So what does recovery for a colonoscopy look like? Is there any sort of steps people should take?
1: So the good thing about about recovery is that it's generally with the types of sedations we use these days, pretty quick. I've had patients who want to get up off the stretcher, get in their car and drive home. And that shows you how, how lucid patients can be. Again, it's a little bit more state-of-the-art these days than it used to be with the sedation being so well tolerated. But again, the recovery generally is once you've completed your colonoscopy, I generally have people rest after the procedure for about an hour. If they feel good, they're not too bloated, they certainly can get up, go eat lunch or eat dinner and be on their way really with no symptoms whatsoever Um, and then we call them a couple of days later two three days later with the results of the biopsies if we do any Um, so generally the the generally the recovery is pretty low stress and low key and like i said a lot of my patients even though they're not allowed to will say i'm ready to get in my car and drive home
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait so i do have another question you mentioned you know they don't feel bloated. Do you actually put air into people, like in order to, I guess, expand the colon, expand your your visual view?
1: Right. So the actual, just to go d- to digress back to the way the procedure is done, um, the ca- the scope itself has um, a few channels on the end of it that we can either squirt water or um, inject carbon dioxide, and and that's necessary to inflate the colon so we can actually see what we're needing what we need to see um, again it makes it makes that a little bit different from the virtual colonoscopy where that part part of the parcels doesn't really exist you can't actually inflate the colon and why does inflating the colon matter because again the colon is kind of lots of nooks and crannies and it can fold over on itself but the flatter you make it on the inside the more expanded you make it, the more likely you are to find the little bumps and, and uh, lumps of tissue. So definitely, we do during the procedure fill up the colon with carbon dioxide so we can maneuver the scope. But on the way out of the cam, out of the, on the way out of the colon, we take all that carbon dioxide back out, and whatever is left, the body will reabsorb, and you will breathe it out within the first half an hour after the procedure. So um, so generally, the carbon dioxide is what people feel after the procedure's over, but usually they, they pass that gas, expel that gas, or breathe that gas out very quickly after the procedure so they don't feel very uncomfortable.
0: Anything else you'd like to add?
1: No, I, I, I just think in, in, in colon cancer, it's, we have to keep in mind that it's a disease we can actually conquer. Um, In probably 60% of patients, you can prevent colon cancer if you screen at an early enough age. It's just one of those things that, again, people have heard lots of stories from their friends, from their relatives, that it's scary, it's cumbersome, it's difficult. However, the test itself, I always remind patients, is pretty easy. You know, it's over quicker than you think. There's really, you know, nothing to be kind of squeamish or scared about. And the day before, the preparation is the preparation. It's kind of a, something you don't want to drink every day. But needless to say, it's not that terrible. But more importantly, because these numbers are so substantial, because colon cancer is the number two or three leading cancer in the country, it would kind of be silly if you didn't get screened for it. You know, again, we always look at patients and say, well, you're going for a mammogram. Why the heck wouldn't you go for a colonoscopy? You know, you're going for other different types of colon, other different types of cancer screenings. Colonoscopy should be part of it. But again, people, again, people are people, and they hear lots of stories from their neighbors and friends that it's such a scary thing. But in reality, it isn't that terrible. So that's what I keep reminding patients: please come in, get your colonoscopy. You know, at the very least, get any screening test would be better than no screening test. This way, you know, you don't become a statistic.
0: If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org/podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Ask For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.